Marriage is more than the warm, fuzzy feelings you experience during the honeymoon phase. It's a journey through good times and bad, through seasons when you've got it all figured out and when nothing makes sense. God chose your spouse for you and you alone to walk through life with, to strengthen your spiritual life with, and to experience the highs and lows together with God at the center leading the way. Marriage is a precious gift. It's meant to be enjoyed, cherished, and protected. For when we experience marriage the way God intended, we discover that the honeymoon experience can last a lifetime. There was um, an article that was written by a woman named Patricia McGeer. For Patricia McGeer, for Woman's Day Magazine. I don't know anything about Woman's Day Magazine. And she acknowledged this, that our sensibilities and our values and our culture are different from maybe other cultures, especially remote cultures. So you got to understand this. you got to hear this story with that idea in mind. But she says, though our values are different than maybe other people have as values, there's still a story in this moment of the love of a man and a woman. So here's what she writes. My trip to the Kinawana Island of the South Pacific was a memorable one. It's a beautiful place. And I will always remember how special this trip was. But the thing I will remember the most, she writes, is about a man named Johnny Lingo who gave eight cows for the privilege of marrying a woman. She said, I'm reminded of it every time I see a woman belittle her husband or a wife wither under her husband's scorn. I tell them about an eight-cow woman on the island of Kinawata. It was a custom on, it is the custom, on that island of Kinawata that when a man wants to marry a woman, that he goes to her father to get permission. And if her father will give him permission, he gives the gift of thankfulness for that permission of one or two cows. But when Johnny Lingo asked for a woman's father's permission, he was so excited that he got the permission, he gave that father eight cows for his bride. Well, when he did it, people all over the island mocked him. There's not that many people on that island, and everybody knew now who Johnny Lingo is, and they were stunned by what he did and mocked him for how foolish he had been. He married a young lady that was just wonderful and great, just like all the other young ladies on that island. Her name is Sarita, but everybody thought, how foolish to give eight cows. So when Patricia 
who was vacationing on the island, heard this story from different people. She decided she had to get to the bottom of this. And it wasn't hard to find him because everybody on the island knew him. And so she hunted him down and she found him. And she told him that she was writing an article for Woman's Day magazine and would it be okay if he interv she interviewed him and he said, sure. And she asked him, why? Why did you give eight cows for Sarita's hand. And he said, I didn't want my wife thinking of herself for the rest of her life as a one cow woman. It's something that all the women here compare notes on. I wanted her to know how special she is to me. And then Johnny said to Patricia, do you see her? There she is. Isn't she beautiful? Patricia looked at Sarita and she said, she was nothing like I had anticipated from what I had heard of others. Sarita had a lift to her shoulders, a tilt of her chin, a sparkle in her eyes. She was absolutely beautiful. All of it spelled a pride to which no one could deny her the right her husband loved her and honored her. After all, she was an eight-cow wife. And Patricia said, this is the definition of cherishing each other. We understand in our culture that no one can determine your value are mine, that that is determined by God. But when a man and a woman so deeply value each other, it is amazing the impact that it brings into their marriage. We are in now week three of a four-part series on marriage entitled After the Honeymoon. And in the first message, we talked about what God's original design for marriage is found in Genesis chapter 2. And last week, Pastor Libin Abraham taught us a great message on, in, in killing many of the myths, three particular myths that oftentimes people walk into marriage with. The first one is, I've got to find the right person. I've got to find the right person. But the Bible actually talks about being the right person. That if we will put God first in our lives, God will make sure that he brings the right person for us and show that person that you are the right person for them. It isn't finding the right person, it's being the right person. Second is the myth that marriage is a contract. A contract that says, this is what I will do for you, this is what you will do for me. And if someone does not hold up to the contract, then we break the contract, we divorce. But rather the Bible talks about marriage as being a covenant. A covenant is a solemn agreement to love and to care for each other no matter what? And it's a covenant that we make with each other. It is a covenant we make with Almighty God, and it's a covenant that we show everyone who is in attendance to that wedding. It's a covenant. 
that we never break. The third is all we need in our marriage is our great love for each other. And he said, look, marriage is hard. That we need more than just our love for each other. We need a love that is greater than ours. We need a power that is greater than ours. We need the power of God to be the source of our strength, the fuel for our marriage. He made this statement, God will never give you a marriage that takes, that makes God unnecessary. You will always need him. It will always be hard enough that you must have God to be in the middle of it for it to work. Now, this morning I want to talk about now the third thing that I want us, we want to deal with in this series, and that is what makes marriages fall apart? What makes marriages fail? Why does this happen? We started with such a great marriage. We started so strong, so wonderful. What has happened to our marriage? And how we can begin the rebuild of our marriage. As I talk about the rebuild of our marriage, I'm only going to talk about three key things, but when Pastor Libin comes back next Sunday, he is going to take two key things we're not talking about today that are the source of the fuel of the strength of a rebuild, and you must hear what he's going to teach. So with that in mind, the first statement I want to make is simply this. Most every marriage is in one of five stages. Early on in my ministry and early on in my marriage, I came across this five stages of marriage. And I had never heard anything like it before, but it was so strong. It was so powerful. It made so much sense that for the next two decades, every young couple that I counseled before their marriage, I exposed them to the five stages of marriage. We walked through those five stages together. And I've had so many couples come back to me after they were married and say, oh my soul, that five stages of marriage, it really helped me. Because when we went to the next stage and the next stage after that, we didn't panic. We would have never anticipated we were going to go through these things, but when we began to experience them, we didn't panic. We understood every marriage goes through these times. Kathy and I found such strength and such grace by understanding these five stages of marriage for our own marriage. And the truth is we've been through all five stages several times. Because don't think of the five stages of marriage as being linear. Think about it being a cycle. And hopefully what we're doing as we are living out our lives is that we are cycling up. We are improving our marriage along the way. Well, I wondered if these five stages of marriage were accepted and believed across uh, counseling. So I went to the Houston Center for Christian Counseling and I interviewed all 10 or so of the counselors together in a room and I brought up the five stages of marriage and they said, absolutely, we, we all accept that this is exactly what's going to happen. We, we sort of uh, identify some of the stages a little differently than you, but essentially the same concept. So boy, I felt really energized because now I want to take you through these five stages of marriage that most every couple goes through. Different intensities, different intensities, 
based upon how we respond to them. But the first one is this. Stage one is the honeymoon stage. It's romance. Romance at its greatest. And the first time that you actually go through the honeymoon and the honeymoon stage of your marriage, more than likely you're thinking these thoughts. Our marriage will be different because we love each other so much. Our marriage will be different from others because we have so much in common. It's actually a great time of marriage. You're going to treasure this for the rest of your life. During this time, the communication can be very careful. There are arguments, but they're short, and it's so much fun to make up. In this stage, you notice there are some weaknesses in my spouse that I did not notice when we were just dating, because now you're with each other all the time. And now there are things that began to emerge, but you're thinking privately, you of course never voice this, no, no worries, I can change him. I can change her. The honeymoon stage lasts, I don't know, days? <laughs> or weeks? Or months? It just depends on the stress, on the, on the problems that begin to emerge and when they emerge in your marriage. But Every couple goes to the second stage of marriage, which is the time of facing reality. The time of facing reality. You, you start to struggle with differences. You can't help but notice them. You'd suppress them. You'd kept them down. You didn't want her to know or him to know, but you're living together now, and they just simply emerge to the surface. It can't help it. The couple begins to face the reality that they have two different wills, two different needs, and two different perspectives. Bad habits begin to surface, and weaknesses begin to be prominent. And there begins to grow friction in your marriage. We've talked about this literally all now the first three weeks. It's like the two boards that I mentioned in the first message that are rubbing together. Well, when those two boards are rubbing together, there's friction. There is heat that comes. There is friction that happens, and you can't help it. It's just life. And when the friction begins, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. This is not a bad time. This is a good time. Every couple has this time. What the goal is, is in the long term, over time, that you wear grooves into each other and you begin to fit. That's the idea. John Townsend in his book Boundaries and Marriage says respect means a willingness to die to your wish for your spouse to see things your way and to appreciate that your mate has his or her own mind own values, and own feelings. The key to this moment is to respect your mate's opinion that is different from yours and learn how to adjust. And the idea is this, if you have to win every argument. If your way has to be the way, if you have to beat your spouse in every debate, you're going to go through really hard times 
down the road in your marriage. But if early on you can come to the place that you're going to have to come to anyway for you to have a marriage that is a great marriage, if early on you could come to the position to say, I don't have to win every debate, it doesn't always have to be my way, I am willing to listen and hear my spouse's opinions and yield. If you can come to that early on, you will reduce the intensity of the next stage that's going to come. This is the moment. This is actually the time in the second stage of marriage that you need to go to marriage counseling. This is the time that you need to go to to marriage conferences and seminars and read marriage books together because it is at this moment that you can make the greatest difference. And most people at this moment say, are you kidding? Going to counseling, marriage counseling? Only the people with a messed up marriage go to marriage counseling. Well, what happens is oftentimes that people think, well, I now, we're about to get a divorce, I got to go to marriage counseling. But the time to go to marriage counseling is actually early on, when you are now struggling with issues. You say, we can get this all figured out ourselves. We don't need to do that. You're right, you can. But what you also can do is build a deep-seated resentment that you don't even know is there. And this is the moment in the second stage to go to marriage counseling and get some help in dealing with issues in the best way possible. The Houston Center for Christian Counseling that I went and talked with recommended to me that I recommend to you this book called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. I've never read the book. I still haven't read it, but they said this is one of the greatest books that anybody can buy on marriage, and every couple needs to get two books and begin to read these books together. Now, in, in the past, I have bought a bunch of books and sold them right here uh, out in the commons area. The problem is we usually are left with maybe a hundred books that we don't know what to do with. And so I decided not to go that route. I decided every one of us know how to go online. We can buy a book ourselves. And I want to encourage you to buy this book, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. I've not read it, but the Houston Center for Christian Counseling recommended I recommend it to you. The third stage that happens is called the power struggle stage, and oftentimes it's called the stage of misery. (laughs) The stage of misery. The complaints about each other are mounting. The anger and resentment is mounting. You see, so many other times you have put it under the carpet. You you pushed it to the side. You didn't really resolve anything. You just didn't want to fight anymore. But what was happening is that you were building anger that has never been dealt with. We began to realize that our partner will never change or even, even want to change. Fighting becomes far more normal than you ever imagined it could be. I I never thought we would get here. An argument could start any time over anything. And what is happening is that there is a growing anger and resentment behind the scenes that the other person is not seeing. During this time, the joy and fulfillment of intimacy can be severely damaged or even be dead. It's a dangerous time because it is at this moment in the marriage 
that as many as 50% of marriages decide to divorce. It's at this moment. And what happens is people are saying, not to their spouse maybe, but to themselves, oh my soul, I have made a desperate mistake. I have married the wrong person. Tim Keller is a pastor. I, I really appreciate him. I, when I listen to him, when I read his stuff, even though he and I don't agree on every theological issue, we agree on most. And, and when I hear him, he just speaks to my heart. It makes total sense what he is saying. He wrote a book on marriage, and there is in one of the chapters, there is a heading, and the heading is this. No one ever marries the right person. This is the heading. No one ever marries the right person. Every person marries the wrong person, or at least that's what they think from time to time. So one of the counselors at the Houston Center for Christian Counseling made this statement. He said, when we talked about this, he said, what the person doesn't realize is that he or she didn't marry the wrong person. He or she has chosen the wrong coping mechanisms for dealing with their disagreements. And he said that so many times as he has counseled uh, these couples that have come in, they'll say to him, if you really love someone, marriage wouldn't be this hard. And he said, I, I never chuckle out loud, I just chuckle inside. And I think to myself, good grief. If you have decided your career or started some business or involved in some business, what do you do? You go back to school and you get another degree. You, you read books on, on your business and on leadership. You go to seminars. Why? Because your career is hard. Getting to the top of your field is tough. You want to do, be the best you can be. So what do you do? You go out and get more information and more help. And you go for counseling. How can I be better at my career? And he says, couples that have kids soon come to realize we don't know what we're doing. And there's no manual here. And what do they do? They, they go and they read books on being better parents. They go to seminars on being better parents. They try to get information. They talk to other parents. What are you doing? How are you doing it? Why? Because parenting is hard. And he said marriage is harder than a career. It's harder than anything else. Loving another person at the depth of love that we were intended to love. This is the hardest job you could ever have, and you need help. You need help from the beginning of your marriage all the way to the end of it. Here's what happens in so many marriages at this point. They just give, throw their hands up. There's no hope for us. We have gone too far down this path. And he says, so many people get divorced, but they have no idea what is coming after that divorce. They have no idea that it's not worth it. They have no idea. I've read several of the stats, but there's one that jumped out for me. A 10-year study of divorced couples discovered that only 10% of ex-spouses said they had succeeded in improving their lives by divorcing. 
That means 90%, 90% of those couples that get a divorce, 10 years later look back and say, I made a terrible mistake. It didn't turn out. I just wanted to get out of all the stress. I wanted to get out of all the anger. I wanted to get out. of. And when I look back, I realize I should have never gotten a divorce. And when you take into account the impact and pain it brings into the lives of children, divorce isn't worth it. It would be better for the husband and wife to step back from this moment and say, this is hard. And I need a power beyond mine. But I am making the decision, whatever it costs me, whatever I have to do, I'm going to make this marriage work. No matter what it costs, I'm going to make my marriage work. Now, the very moment both people make that decision, the very moment you make that decision, you move out of the stage of misery and into the fourth stage, the stage of awakening. The stage of awakening simply says, this is when we realize we cannot change our mate. We'll never be able to do it. But we can, with God's help, change ourselves. This is when we realize that if we're going to have a great love, we're going to have to be deliberate. And we're going to have to build it over time. This is when we discover that the key to the marriage all along was to be respectful of our spouse and his or her opinions that are different from ours. That we come to a willingness to accept the other person, warts and all. I'm not saying accept sinful behavior. I'm not saying that. Sinful behavior needs repentance and change. But I am saying that we come to accept our spouse with all of their weaknesses and inabilities and differences. And this was the key to marriage all along. It's a time that you decide to put the other person's needs above your own. And I'm telling you that if you come to this conclusion and you work at it and you go through the difficulty of it, you will come out the other side as long as neither one quits. And you will come to stage five, the stage of mature love. It's not a perfect time. It doesn't mean that it's a time in which you never have any more arguments. But it is a time when fear is gone. We're going to make this. We're going to make this marriage. I don't have to be afraid anymore. Now understand that this whole five stages of marriage is not linear It's a cycle, which you go through many times. Think of the five stages as a cycle that together you're moving up and progressing in the marriage. At the end of the the first message, the first service, I had a couple that were 
they said they've been married 65 years, and they said we are currently in the stage of romance. And they said we've been through all five of those cycles many times. There, there was a television series uh, show called Every One Loves Raymond. Anybody ever see that? It was in the 90s and the early teens and uh, 10s, and, or t- early 2000s. You know what I'm trying to say. And um, it was, I got to tell you, I thought it was hilarious. I, there were so many episodes that honestly, I was just laughing and laughing at the storylines of it. But do you know why so many people loved that series? Because the whole series went through the five stages of marriage. The entire series was watching two people go through five stages of marriage and all the struggles and all the problems with in-laws and all that. And the last episode was they reach mature love. That was the ending of Everybody Loves Raymond. You can reach this. You can get all the way through the five stages and get through them again and again and again, you can build mature love in your marriage. So I want to say, there are some things that need to happen this week. First of all, you've got to come to this concept, you cannot change your spouse. You never will. But God can change your spouse. All the anger, all of the griping, all of the complaining got you nowhere except anger. And the anger just kept growing. And it's the only thing that you can get from all of that. You can't change your spouse. But God can change your spouse. So there's, there's some things that you can do about yourself. And that is what both sides have got to come to. That My focus needs to be in changing me in this marriage. First, yield your rights and needs to God. This has got to be the hardest one of them all. So what does that mean? It means to choose to trust God to be responsible for ultimately fulfilling your needs. It's where you take your needs and wants and you lay them at the altar. The Bible says it this way in Matthew chapter 6, 33. Jesus is speaking, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What Jesus is saying, I will meet your needs. You make me first in your life, and I will take care of your needs. Second of all, in Philippians 4, 19, but my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There are some things that... You are wanting your mate to meet for you that your mate could never meet for you. God intended to meet those needs. There are some needs that your mate needs to make for you, needs to meet for you, and is not meeting for you. And in those, you've got to make a decision. God, nothing I've tried in order to get my spouse to meet my needs has worked. I am willing to hand you these needs and give you the opportunity to either take them away or you to meet them in a righteous way. I am going to yield my rights 
and my needs to you. This has got to be the hardest thing in marriage. The easiest thing in marriage is blame. It's all my spouse's fault. And if they would clean up their act, we would have a great marriage. But the hardest thing to do is to yield your needs and your rights to God. You've got to come to this place. The second thing that needs to happen is that you've got to let go of the stronghold of your resentment. It's been building this anger inside, this resentment of unresolved conflict. We just sweep it under the rug. We just, oh, let's just don't fight anymore. But we never resolve anything. And all it does is kick the can down the road. All it does, you're, one day it's going to come out and it's going to come out so badly. And the need in your heart is to come to terms with this and be willing to forgive. Come to the end of the stronghold of resentment because this is what happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 talks about a stronghold that Satan builds in our life and one of those strongholds is the stronghold of anger and bitterness and resentment in our life. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 puts it this way, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you for as it springs up it causes deep trouble hurting many. You got to deal with this anger, this resentment in your heart. Don't ruin the opportunity for God to change your marriage. Be willing to come to a point of forgiveness. Be, be willing to let your anger go. And I will admit to you that sometimes the anger, the resentment is so deep and so strong, you got to take layers off. It's not like one episode and okay, there's no more anger. It's like taking one layer off at a time and every day going to God, God, I'm coming to you, laying my anger down, lay, laying my resentment down and let him like an onion sort of peel away one more layer. Oh God, I'm serious. I want to be free of my resentment. The third is to concentrate on meeting your mate's needs, not yours. Zig Ziglar is a guy that died in uh, 2012, and he's just a great Christian. He was an amazing motivational speaker. He was an amazing Christ follower. He taught a Sunday school class, and I heard there were just like over a thousand people in the Sunday school class, and he was just amazing. He could take scriptures from all over the Word of God and build principles. He was an amazing teacher. He was a motivational speaker, and one of the things he said to Two of his sayings go together. Here's the first one. You can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough people get what they want. You can have everything in life you want if you'll help enough people get what they want. Here's the second one, and it means the same thing. But if you will change your focus to helping other people around you get what they want and need, an amazing thing will happen to you. You will eventually, not immediately, you will eventually get what you want and need. So where does this come from? Where, where does he, what Bible verse did he come up with? Well, it's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given back to you. Good measure shaken together, running over, shall others give to you. For with 
Whatever measure you measure out, it will be measured back to you again. So listen to what Jesus said. Give to others, and it will be given back to you, good measure, shaken together, running over. Shall others, not God. He didn't say there's going to be some miraculous things from heaven that, that, that falls into your life. Shall others give to you? If you give to meet the needs of other people, an amazing thing will happen to you. You'll look up one day, wow, the very things that I wanted and needed is being dropped into my lap. And this is what Jesus is saying. Buy others. For with what measure you measure out, it will be measured back to you again. And here's the idea. Shift your focus from being me-centered to become mate-centered. Shift your focus from being me-centered to mate-centered. Now, I know we're going to be God-centered, and we all understand that, but in this statement, I want you to grasp this idea. Stop thinking about your needs and wants. Give them up, and now, what are the needs of my mate? You can't change the self-centeredness of your spouse. You never will. But you can change yourself. Put your energies into letting God change you and trusting God with the rest. And what God will do when you have stopped the complaining, what God and you stop the bitterness, what God will do is He will go to work on your spouse and discipline your spouse. Give him time. Be teachable. Embrace differences. Practice gratitude for the positive things in the relationship. Spend quality time together. Learn from counseling and conferences and excellent books on marriage how to better deal with conflict. All the way from the beginning of your relationship to the end. You didn't marry the wrong person. You didn't marry the wrong person. What you have chosen are the wrong coping mechanisms for dealing with disagreements. That's what's happened. It really is time to let God begin to change you and over time to change your spouse. Would you open your heart to this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing truths that are packed into the five stages of marriage. And most of all, they give hope. They give hope. If, if we would change the focus of our life, and God, we can't change our mate's focus, but we can change our own. God, I pray that you would move in hearts on both campuses today to be willing to take ownership of our own life. Move in hearts to come to forgiveness, the layers of them, until they've reached all the way to the bottom. And be open for your work in our lives. Our love for each other is not enough for marriage. We need your love for us. We need your power. 
We need you in our lives. Move in hearts on both campuses. Today we pray in Jesus' name, amen.